Man, I, I am so uh, excited. This is the second week in a row I've gotten to introduce a uh, guest speaker here at Christ Fellowship. And uh, last week, you may remember, if you remember correctly, I introduced our guest speaker. I said I've loved lots of them, but not anyone like I loved this guest speaker from last week. Uh, that was my wife, Kim Miller, who just did a great job. But, uh, you know, I just, uh, not that much, but I really do love our, <laughs> our speaker today. I just want to introduce Ron Parrish to you guys. Ron and Janine are in town, and for those of you who have been around for a while, they have been longtime friends of Christ Fellowship, and uh, Ron served on our board of advisors as we kicked that thing off years ago. Uh, we met back in the 90s, and Ron became a quick friend because we were doing church uh, in, in the same kind of manner. And so in this whole reproducing church vision where we were sending people out to plant other churches, it was great. Along with Jimmy, we all three just really became really good friends, like-minded, like-hearted. Uh, Jimmy Seibert down from Waco, Antioch and Waco. And, and Ron, uh, we've again just done stuff all over the world together. And uh, a, a dear friend, I, I just, I feel like I'm going on a bit. Ron has sharpened me like very few other brothers in the Lord. And I just, I really want to, um, you know, encourage you to listen because he's got some stuff that is, is going to really encourage and challenge and realign us. I think there's a realign, refocus kind of word for today. So please honor Ron as we welcome him. Christ Fellowship, y'all give it up for Ron Parrish. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. Is it still morning? Yeah, it is still morning. Hey, it feels like home for Janine and I. Janine, stand up. This is my wife. We will be... We're working on 40 years together. Like, you know, I know we don't look that old, but we got married when we were in junior high. And uh, Also, I have a book. I don't promote this a lot, but Janine poked me a while ago and said, Ron, this is your life message. You've got to talk about it. It's called From Duty to Delight, and it was written for people who say, Ron, I really struggle with a prayer time or a quiet time. It's just not doing it for me. And uh, that's not been our experience for a long time. We wake up with great uh, anticipation of meeting with the Lord, and so uh, we just it's very practical and helpful. And it will motivate you if you don't have a very fulfilling quiet time. Uh, my family, I love them like crazy. Uh, son-in-law and daughter serve in Indonesia. It's my grandson. My son is a film guy. He's about to get married to Sydney. And then my daughter is, is now, uh, she is working at Notre Dame. Uh, so you may have heard of that school. Uh, kind of on track to be a professor. Uh, next slide is my other grandson who was not in the previous picture because everybody uh, gathered in the United States, but he couldn't come because he's not officially adopted. And I flashed this picture up there because my kids are in the process of adopting him, and it looks like it's going to take a miracle. He is from Indonesia, from Papua, and we love him like crazy, but pray for Aaron to be adopted into our family. Okay, today I'm going to take us back to a very familiar passage, and I want you to know that this passage here 
has been kind of a guiding North Star for me for many decades, <laughs> four decades. But it feels more alive to me right now than ever before in my life. And I tell you why. It's because I'm always often asking the question, now, what am I doing? What am I doing here? I ask that question when I'm in the boonies of Indonesia, uh, when we're uh, challenged with life in another country, uh, when I'm back here in America and I'm visiting churches like this that are so alive, loving the, the lifestyle of an American, watching football and stuff like that. Now, what am I doing in Indonesia? And why am I doing it? And how's it going? And I come back to these verses to answer those questions. Now, honestly, I want to kind of put this in context. Uh, Jesus says, you know, had been crucified, buried, resurrected, came back, appeared to the disciples, 40-day period, spoke of the kingdom of God, hung out with them, ate with them, and then just before he's returning to heaven, he says these words. I mean, think of, you know, what text would you send as your plane's going down, you know, to a loved one? What, what would you say on your deathbed to your family? You know, guys, don't forget this. And this is what Jesus says. So I know it's familiar. Read it with me again, because I'm going to show you some ways that I've seen people read these verses uh, and how I've read them. But let's read the, the original, how he said it. Ready? Then Jesus came to them and said, let's read it together out loud with a voice. Ready? Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, we've read it so many times. I've talked about it so many times. It can become old hat. But also, what we typically do is we sometimes read into things what are, is not actually being said. So I want to share with you a few ways that I've seen people read these verses over the years. This is one way. Therefore, those of you who have a special calling, to be a pastor, evangelist, missionary, church planner, go and make disciples. So the, the general idea is, you know, a, a vision, a word from God, whatever, then I'll do this. But can you imagine Jesus saying that to his disciples? No, it's straightforward. Go. Sometimes we read it this way. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, if your spiritual gift assessment or your personality profile, or it happens to be kind of the way you're wired, go and make disciples. Sometimes we read it this way. And Jesus came to him and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and figure out your life mission. Find out what makes your heart come alive and pursue it with gusto. And hopefully, Hopefully, some of you will land on this life mission. Therefore, go and make disciples. Another one. And this is real common. 
In fact, it's real common in the culture that I live in. There's, there are Christians that love Jesus, but they feel that this is their great commission. Therefore, go to church and worship and give an offering and listen to a sermon and serve me in whatever way you have time and in whatever way that you want to. And sort of overlook the straightforward message that Jesus has for us here. I want to share with you one last one that I've often read it in this way. Therefore, go and start churches and invite people to come and attempt to make them disciples by giving them good sermons and baptize them if they are so inclined, teaching them to think about whatever you feel inspired to talk about. We read into it sometimes what we think it says or what we want it to say. But I want us to kind of drill down into this verse. Next slide. When you look at it carefully, there are four verbs in the command. And not all, not all of them are equal. We have the word go, and literally it's while going, it's a participle. Uh, make disciples, baptizing and teaching. These basically form the four parts to this mission that God's given us. This task that He's entrusted to every believer. Every believer's been given these basic tasks. Now, the heart of it, next, next slide, is to make disciples. That's the main verb. Make disciples. So Jesus is calling them together and to say, you know guys, what you have become, now reproduce that in others. Or in other words, the life that you've known and experienced, pass that on. Now, the going, baptizing, the training, or teaching or training, is all part of it. But at the very heart of it, is make disciples. And so, literally, as I take this serious, more serious than I've ever taken it in my life, I'm very aware that the mission is very clear. So the what is, every person that I relate to. If I relate to uh, someone who already follows Christ, then I want to make sure that they're following Jesus with all their heart and influencing in them in that way. I'm, I'm making sure that they honor the Lord by being baptized. And I want to I train them to do what all of us are called to do, which is to make disciples and to obey the other commands of Jesus. And so it, it comes simple, it comes clear, it's focused. And so often, you know, in church work, we need to ask, hey, what's business and how's business? Because so often for us, there's a lot of things that make up to the life of the church, but if we come back to the thing that Jesus prioritized, it brings it into focus. And there's a lot of life in it. There's so much life. Now I want to be really transparent with you today. We did a, we did a nine-year stint in Indonesia years ago, in which we started a church and trained church planters, and uh, we saw some real advances in the kingdom, and we came back and we pastored a dynamic church, we planted other churches, and then we planted another church called Hope in the City. But really, honestly, 90% or 95% of my energy, my time, my life, during the 20-year stint in Austin, was not really focused on this. 
And we sent out church planners that were doing this deal. But there was something missing in terms of just the simplicity of saying, how do I take people that are not yet believers and see them become followers of Jesus who are obeying His commands? And honestly, next slide. As we break this down, now my, my high school English teacher would be shocked that I actually diagrammed a sentence. This is, this is how I think it's broken down. You is understood. Make disciples, the heart of it. But you while going or intentionally going. And then we baptize and we teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And what's implied is those who believe. Now, for a lot of us, at least in the context of our church in Austin, this is how we read the Great Commission. Next slide. We read it, therefore go and find another Christian, meet with them on a regular basis, help them get, uh, grow in their faith and help them establish a quiet time and overcome their addictions and live for the glory of God. And that's not bad, that's true. That's part of the calling. But it's really obvious here, Jesus has in mind a target. And it's not really other Christians. Next slide. It's really the people who are not yet disciples. People who are of the nations. Pantata ethne is the Greek there. It means literally all of the peoples. And so we live in a world in which, for example, in our country, there are thousands of churches. Indonesia has thousands of churches. And in the urban areas, there are mega churches. And I've, I've had the privilege of speaking in some of those churches. But the fact is, any given congregation will be made up of, of probably five or six different people groups where there'll be hundred, literally 175 other people groups not represented in church. You'll rarely see those people people from certain tribal groups, and some of them have millions of people. So they're called unreached peoples. The cool thing about it is God is bringing nations to your country, our country here. This week we were with the worship pastor at Hope in the City and hanging out, and, and we walked outdoors. In the cul-de-sac that he lives in, there's a Pakistani family, an Indian family, and a family from... Uh, Palestine, not Palestine, Palestine, you know, Arabs, Muslims, Indian Hindus, Pakistani Muslims in their cul-de-sac. God is bringing the, the nations to us. So who are we to make disciples? Well, everyone who's not a disciple. So the point is, when I'm hanging out with, with Indonesians who are Muslims, or hanging out with Indonesians who are Hindus, and with all my heart, I'm seeking to communicate the good news to them and persuade them to become disciples of, disciples of Jesus, I am in the heart, in the center of what's really normal Christianity. Normal followership is that I would follow Jesus in this obedience. Next slide. These are some of those peoples of Indonesia that are unreached, if you gather 
These represent peoples that if you gather 10,000 people in a stadium, they'd be one follower of Jesus. Sometimes it's more like a one in a hundred thousand. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we said goodbye to two of our three kids and goodbye to a dynamic, healthy community that we were a part of in an awesome city uh, and moved back to Indonesia. Now, there are other motives, but this one is the one that we go, yes, this sustains us. This keeps us focused and our hearts come alive in it. Next slide. So, everyone, everyone in this room is either a disciple or someone who needs to be made a disciple. Everyone. And so a disciple owns this thing and says, hey, this is my calling. Whether, you know, Monday through Friday I work at a bank or I'm a teacher or I work at Starbucks or I'm a cashier at HEB. Do they have HEBs here? Uh, you know, whatever you're doing, guess what? Your primary identity is one who makes disciples because you're a disciple. And so that involves those three activities. Go, which means to take initiative. It means to be intentional. Uh, what are you up to? I'm making disciples. Uh, oh, but with Christians, I'm helping them and inspiring them and encourage them, and encouraging them to make disciples. So there's this initiative. And, and I'm, by temperament, sort of an introvert. And so for me to engage someone in a spiritual conversation requires intentionality. And it requires a level of boldness and a risk. And yet wading into it is so worthwhile. Wading into that, how can I pray for you? Or, hey, what's your spiritual beliefs? And taking that risk to engage them with the hopes of getting to tell our story, our God story. Uh, baptizing, we know what that means, you know, immersing them. So a friend of mine shared Christ with a Balinese Hindu. Now Hindus in Bali worship all kinds of spirits. And uh, so Made is his name, is, is, is hearing the gospel, and he says, yes. Now, not many Balinese Hindus say yes to the gospel. This guy said yes. And so, guess what? Made, where's some water? You know, we explained baptism to him. And in the process of being baptized, because we take the Great Commission serious, we explained to him that, you know what, you need to watch this because you're going to be doing this with your wife and your children, and anyone else in your village that says yes to what's happened to you, namely the gospel. So there's the, the baptizing and then the teaching. And for many years, I'm, a, I'm like Jamie, man. I love to teach the Word of God. I love to talk about the kingdom of God. But for many years, I had this assumption that if I gave sermons, that people were being discipled. But if you look at this carefully, really it's an idea of training. Training people to obey. You know, not just to think about it. Not just to ponder it. Not just to reflect on these great ideas. But to obey. And the commands of Jesus are obvious. Love one another. Serve one another. Remember Him as we take the Lord's Supper. Supper. Give. Forgive. Pray. But 
especially this one, make disciples. And so it's really our job. You know, Jamie looks you in the eye and says, who are you reaching out to? Who are you making a disciple? We're just basically trying to obey the command of Jesus to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So we're looking at the next generation. And I know a bunch of you would say what I often say is, who me? Hey, I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not, I'm not healed enough. I've still got my issues. I'm still walking with some, some limps here. I'm not, uh, I don't know enough about the Bible or I'm too young or too old. Uh, I'm saying I'm too old. Too old to ride a motorcycle into the boonies and share with people. I'm too, too old to bathe in the river. It's not my gift. Or I don't know enough about Islam or Hinduism. I have a job and a life. I mean, most Americans that I relate to are telling me, Ron, that's fine for you. You're, you're professional at this. But I'm, I've got a life to live. I'm not that good at learning a new language. Uh, but remember what Jesus said. He said a couple of things. He said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow is to fish. And by the way, I stand in that promise, Lord. You said you'd make me a fisherman. I don't feel like I'm that good a fisherman. But you're making me that. We are salt and light. We are His witnesses wherever we go. It's, it's who we are. The most natural thing you and I can do is to make disciples. The most natural thing we can do as a follower of Jesus is to be People who know the new covenant and were competent ministers of the new covenant because of Christ being in us. All authority in heaven on earth, and on earth has been given to Jesus, therefore entrusted to us, and He's always with us. I can't tell you how many times that I feel inadequate for the task. How many times I share with people and and think that I've communicated really clearly, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm really comfortable in, in Indonesian, and wondering if, if it came across. How many times I'm in a situation, and I'm thinking, I'm, in, I'm the only one in the room that, that knows Christ here. How can I convey this message? How many times I'm laying hands on sick people, and I'm saying, God, if you don't show up, I'm toast here. This is really going to be embarrassing. Because these people have heard the gospel and I've offered to pray for them. But I lean on these promises. Number one, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus and Jesus is inside of me. And Jesus is with me. And He promised to be with me in this mission. And you can depend on that too. And and I want to tell you, in all transparency, I've done a lot of things related to ministry. But there's nothing as life-giving as fulfilling the Great Commission. There's nothing that makes my heart come alive like getting to share the Gospel with someone and say, has anybody ever told you about this? And they say, no. No. This is the first time I've heard that. Or even sharing the Gospel with a Muslim and at the end of a 45-minute or an hour conversation, to say, hey, would you like to follow Isa al-Masih, Jesus the Messiah? And even if they say no, to be able to say, 
well, can you kind of repeat back to me what you heard, the difference between following Jesus and being a devout Muslim? And them to tell me, yeah, it's depending on what Jesus did dying for us on the cross than it is depending on my religious faithfulness. And I'm going, yes, yes. There's a joy in sowing and a joy in reaping. Next, next verse. So I take these trips. And by the way, if you'd like to be on our prayer list, we give updates about these, these things. There's a list out there at the hub. And uh, trips like this, this was kind of unique in that uh, Ben Marcus, uh, Dr. Ben Marcus from Boston, uh, who lives in Indonesia, he and I had dreamed about this trip, so we, we literally uh, disassemble our bikes, put them in a box, check them in in an airplane, and we fly to the island of Sulawesi, and we go to a city called Palu. You've probably never heard of it. And we go a direct 250-kilometer north bike ride along a coast, but more importantly, there are three unreached, unengaged people groups there. In other words, they're, they're tribal groups that no one is reaching out to. No one there knows Jesus. And so we're riding our bikes and we stop wherever we can, wherever we see people, which is quite often, and we engage people in spiritual conversations. And Ben's takeaway from that, this is, I've been on many of these trips, but this was Ben's first. Ben's first was, they've never heard of Jesus. That's right, Ben. That's why we're doing it. But they're Muslims. They've never heard of Isa al-Masih, who's mentioned in the Quran. Uh, no, they haven't been. That's why we're doing this. Next slide. So trips like this involve, you know, meeting guys like Muhammad. This guy at the back of Muhammad's head here. Muhammad, guess what religion he is? Islam. You got it. So hi, hi, I'm Ron. Hi, I'm Muhammad. Uh, what religion? What religion are you, Muhammad? Oh, I'm Muslim. Oh yeah, I figured that. Uh, and I built the mosque here. See the mosque? Yeah, I built that with my own hands. I sacrificed to build our local mosque. Great, Muhammad. Did that, uh, did that act of sacrifice and service uh, wash away your sins? No, I don't know if it did. So do you pray diligently? Yeah, five times a day. Do you fast during the month of fasting? Yeah. Have you been to Mecca? Not yet, but I'm going there. So how's that working for you? Are, has that brought you into a right relationship with Allah? And then from there, tell our story, tell the gospel. I can't tell you how many times he stopped me in that conversation, grabbed my hand, and said, thank you, thank you. This is so cool. Good news. Next slide. So, What's business? Making disciples. How's business? So we, we measure everything we're doing. How's business? Are we making disciples? So one of the cool things is we're, we're in relationship with a number of young pastors. Everybody's young compared to me. And, and we're mentoring them. And one of the guys that I mentor, 
pastors of church that I preach at occasionally. And the last time I preached there, which was literally maybe six weeks ago, I preach a sermon, invite people up to, to be prayed for, and this was... It was a bit shocking to walk into a church that that a year ago there were 30 people. Six weeks ago there were 300. And I'm going, what's happened here? So I preach this sermon. Everybody comes forward for prayer. Pray for people. And we're landing the plane. I'm ready to go eat some fried rice. I'm ready to you know go home. And uh, the pastor's wife gets up, who's kind of in the frame of the picture. And, and she says, now... Who wants to receive Jesus? And, and up front comes 17 people. I counted them. These people. And this picture doesn't show it, but when they're coming up front, they're just kind of like skipping up and slapping each other and high fives and smiling. It's kind of like we won the door prize. And what's happened is their church is trained to share Christ with five people every week and invite those people to church and explain to them that at church they will be invited to accept Christ at the end of the service, and so come prepared for that. And so these are all brand new people, and and quite honestly, I was thinking it was my preaching that you know seventeen people said yes, but but the pastor's wife said no. Really, we average about fifteen a week, so it's a little higher than normal. So no wonder the church has grown from thirty to three hundred in a year. It's because there's this sense of all of us are called to make disciples. That's who we are. I've experienced this grace of God. I want to pass it on. I've known the love of Jesus, and we celebrate here, but a lot of people don't know about that. So there's this momentum of life. Next slide. This was taken about a month ago, and this is one of my favorite churches to preach at because it's made up of all Balinese Hindus, some of them know they're Christians. I know this sounds kind of weird. But everybody there is brand spanking new. And the church has baptized 114 people like this. Uh, It's culturally Balinese, and so if you know anything about Bali, I mean, it's got Bali architecture and Bali dance and Bali music. And it is so cool. And I have to wear a skirt when I preach there. And a holy man's hat. And uh, it's, I didn't show that picture on purpose. <clears throat> so they've baptized 114 people. And these people here, some of them, some of them that day they were baptized said yes to Jesus. Most of them within three months they have said yes to Jesus. And so just recently they're worshiping spirits and most of them have said yes to Jesus because they've been delivered from demons they've they've been healed dramatically one person wasn't walking but now is being baptized uh, the power of God breaking in making people respond to the kingdom of God or the word of the kingdom of God the message of the kingdom of God okay now I want to Kind of bring this home. Next slide. One more story. This is very recent. Just before he got on a plane to come back to America. Uh, Island of Flores, 
two islands over, three islands over from us, is where my son-in-law and daughter live. And uh, because of that, we've, we've been joining them and reaching out to this island. And it's got literally thousands of villages like uh, Lonkololo. And in Lonkololo, <clears throat> they call themselves Catholics, but they pray to their ancestor spirits and they, uh, they worship their ancestor spirits and they pray to Mary. Jesus is not part of the equation. So a guy from that village and myself went there, uh, flew there to the, on a plane and then drove motorcycles back into the village. And we, we had 90% of the village gathered for nearly four hours as we shared the gospel with them and prayed for them. And, uh, and so at some point in the, in, the, in the gathering, I just said, so you've heard about Jesus. How many of you are ready to follow Him and to receive forgiveness, to become uh, a new creation in Him? And the village head stood up and so, sort of on behalf of all the people and looked around and said, we all do. We all do. And so we gave them audio New Testaments. They're listening to them now in this picture. We're walking through the village on our way to the motorcycles at midnight and the Gospel of Matthew or the Book of Romans or whatever was being listened to in these village huts as people got their new Bibles. They never heard the Word of God. So we get to do this. We get to do the Great Commission. Now, I want to close with this. And that is, so how do we live this out in America? Believe me, I struggle with it. 20 years as a pastor. How do I live out the Great Commission in Austin, Texas? Well, I don't think it's a great mystery. I think there's a go element in which we initiate spiritual conversations. Hey, what are, you, what are, you, what are your spiritual beliefs? We, we realize that the make disciple piece is really ours, even if we have some other profession. Uh, we, we're aware that we're tasked with the training dynamic, not, not just the pastor, but we're tasked with training them to follow. And we're also given the freedom to baptize people. I don't know what you teach about that. Okay. Uh, so the point is, we get to, we're all part of this deal. And that's exciting to me because I'm looking out at a group of people that I think if every person just in this room, including these guys, took this serious and said, okay, I got a task. Jesus' parting words to his disciples were, go do this. In fact, can I give you my reading of this? My reading of, of this last scene with Jesus on earth about to be taken up to heaven, and he calls his disciples together and he says, guys, I'm out of here. But there's something I want you to know and there's something I want you to do. First of all, I want you to know that the 
that the power that you've seen in my life to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and, and all the things that, that the Father did through me, all of that power is only scratching the surface of what really the Father has made available to us. And because He's given that authority to me, I'm entrusting it to you. you got to know that. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to make sure that every person on the planet knows about what I've provided for them. And the, and the joy in the, in the kingdom and the forgiveness and the life that you've experienced these last three years, I want you to pass that on to people that do not know. In fact, I want everyone to know about this. And I want you to welcome them into the kingdom through baptizing them. I want you to train them to do all the things that I've been training you to do. Especially this last one, which is them, them to do what I'm telling you to do. Make disciples. And I think if every follower of Jesus in the nation where I live took that serious... I can move back to Texas next year. If every follower of Jesus, Christ Fellowship, took this serious, there would be up and to the right in terms of increase. There would be church planners galore going wherever there are people that are not followers of Jesus. I believe that. And that's my prayer for you. So in closing today, would you stand with me? I want to, next slide, I want to ask this. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Or do you need to be made a disciple? <laughs> in other words, do you need to say yes to Him today? And if you say yes, then by implication, you're invited into this plan, this mission, this purpose that we're giving ourselves to. Because it's basic followership. Now I want you to do this with me today. I want you to take your hands and stretch them out. Just say, Holy Spirit, what do I need to do to adjust my life to a greater level of obedience to something You've made really clear? All kinds of things we could do that are good for the glory of God. But what Jesus felt was important was to make disciples. So Lord, show me how I need to adjust my lifestyle to do that. Would you pray that prayer? And if you're honest, the Holy Spirit is perfect at showing you what you need to repent of, what you need to lay aside, what you need to focus on. He is really, really good at bringing our lives under kingly alignment, His kingdom alignment. Come Holy Spirit.